You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. So it's my privilege this morning to speak to you from God's Word. We're going to be continuing our series, which we're calling A Season of Growth. And we really just believe that God is um, speaking to us about some key ways in which he wants us as a church to mature and get stronger in. Um, that, yes, when we come into our new building, there will be uh, more room at the table. There'll be more room for new people to come and join us and for our family to literally grow. But we do believe there's some ways in which God is, uh, is calling us and urging us to grow. And we spent a few weeks, if you remember, looking at the, um, the theme of community and discipleship. And then we looked a little bit at courage with uh, both Tim and uh, Mike Betts when he was with us uh, speaking on courage. And today I want to speak about growing in prayer. I want to speak about growing in prayer today and next week. Before I do that, I just want to remind you, if you are a member of this church, then you should have received a letter this week, um, which was just an update really on our building project, what's going on at what will be the Hope Centre. Please do read that. Please do note down the, the dates that uh, we've put in there. The 11th of September, we're going to be gathering uh, probably here to hear an update really on how things are going, how much things have been costing, how much more money we need to raise, what are the key prayer points that we have. And then on the 29th of September, we're going to be giving again. And that's not just for members. All of you can get in on that. But uh, particularly just wanting to encourage us as church members to uh, really consider okay, how can I start to save money aside so I can give big again in September? If you're not a church member, then the Getting Connected course is for you. We'd love for you to come and explore what it means to become a member at Hope Church. I love that we are an encouraging church. I've had a number of people come up to me again and again uh, over the last five years of uh, being uh, part of the leadership of this church and encouraging me in different ways. Sometimes, Tom, that was a helpful sermon or a little text in the week saying, uh, Tom, I love what God's doing amongst X, Y, Z. Tom, God is doing stuff, and it's been very encouraging to, to hear your encouragements. Encouragement is a, is a really um, underrated gift. It's an undervalued gift. You have no idea how uh, life-giving it is to receive encouragement. But one of the greatest encouragements I've received in five years of church leadership is around prayer. And a friend of mine who uh, is in this church who has moved around the country quite a lot over his life and has been part of some brilliant churches he has said to me, I don't know any churches that pray like this church. That's encouraging to me. That's encouraging to me. I uh, have another friend in this church. His parents were visiting not long ago, and his dad was asking me a lot about the church. He wanted to know whether his son was at a, you know, a good church. And uh, he said, do you guys pray? And his son turned to him and said, Dad, these guys know how to pray. They really go for it in prayer. And that is probably the biggest encouragement that I could receive as a church leader is that we really go for it in prayer. And I'm deeply encouraged by what God has been doing amongst us in terms of our, our journey, really, of going for it in prayer corporately uh, and in many different life groups as well, going for it in prayer. But, listen, I believe we've got so much more growing to do in prayer. I, I believe that we've got far more growth ahead of us in the area of prayer. We've seen God do some remarkable things as we've gathered together, as we've called upon his name. We've seen him not just release to us a building, but one that was far, far uh, above and beyond our expectations when we first started saying to God, God, we'd really like a bigger premises. He has blown our expectations out of the water. But there's been other things that he's been doing, bringing to us people with certain gifting, people with certain expertise and passions. He's been 
doing something amongst our, uh, our children and young people. He's been doing great things in our area of life groups. He's been answering our prayers as we've called out to him. He's been doing it. And yet I believe that in the years to come, we're going to remark to ourselves, can you remember when we only gathered about 100 people at the prayer and vision nights? Can you remember those times? Can you remember? Because now we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people coming together to call out to God. I believe that in the years to come, we're going to see many more battles won as we call out to God together, as we cry out to him for his provision and for his blessing upon this town and for his blessing upon the towns and cities and nations that he wants us to reach in the years to come. I believe there's more adventuring to come in the area of prayer. I really do. I do believe that this is what God is doing amongst us is remarkable and to be celebrated, but I believe there's much more. And so I want to look this week and next week at growing in prayer, and we're going to go on preaching about prayer in the years to come because we need to be reminded of its power, that there's power in praying, there's power God acts, he moves in response to our prayers. We need to be reminded of the foundations for prayer, which I'm particularly going to look at today. And at the end of July, we're going to have a week of prayer. And we're going to be giving you some information about that next week. And you can really get to grips with some um, opportunities that we're going to uh, put together for us to gather together and pray. And I would love it. Nothing would make me happier than if all of us could attend at least one of those gatherings. If, if, If all of us could get to at least one of those prayer times and all partake in some way. We're going to have a, uh, a great time just praying together at the end of July. But as I say, this morning we're going to look at growing in prayer. And I want to encourage you just to turn to Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible. Nehemiah is um, the last of the history books, really, that we have in the Old Testament. The last of the recorded history of God's people. This is about 400 years before um, Jesus comes onto the scene. And the, the people of God... are are really in a bit of a state, as we're going to see in a minute. And this is an incredible story. We're not going to go through it all uh, this week and next week. We're not going to have time to do that. Let me encourage you to read it. It's a great story of of God bringing revival to his people. It's a story of leadership. It's a story of prayer. We see Nehemiah is a remarkable man of prayer. It's a story of vision and of people getting a hold of a vision. And uh, today we're going to be reading chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. So let's read. The verses are going to come up on the screens around the room if you haven't got a Bible with you. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said... O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. 
I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for, for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, Long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Now, to our untrained 21st century ears, we might think that Nehemiah has overreacted when he's heard about some walls that have been broken down. For days, he's mourned and wept and fasted and prayed at the news that some walls have been ruined and some gates have been knocked down. Well, if you understand that Jerusalem had been overrun several times and how the people of God had been taken all around uh, the surrounding nations in exile and captivity, then you'll understand that a city without walls and a city without gates is a pretty big deal. God's people were in danger of once again being enslaved. God's people were once again in danger of being defeated and disgraced. And so Nehemiah is really gripped when he hears this news. And I felt as I was preparing on Thursday that for some here, God wants to really arrest your attention as to uh, his kingdom purposes. That you can kind of be in a comfortable place and suddenly someone brings you news of something And you're suddenly arrested for it. And you just want to give yourself, like Nehemiah did, to God's kingdom purposes. He had a a fairly comfortable job. He was the cupbearer to the king. I don't think that involved a very kind of big skill set. We see here that he he just served in wine. I mean, that's a good job, right? That's a cushy job. He probably was well looked after by the king. As long as he did his job well, he was well looked after by the king. And I felt just in my spirit, really, that there were some here, you, you're knowing some sense of comfort at the moment. You're, you're knowing some kind of, you know, you, things are good. 
But I do believe that today there's a really an arresting of your attention that God wants to do to say, actually, things are not so good. When we look around our nation, when we look around the world, things are not so good, actually. And it doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to stop what you're doing and change your job and kind of go and do something different like Nehemiah did. But there's actually something of an urgency that God's going to put in your heart for prayer, for action, for maybe even seeing your job that you do in a new light and seeing yourself as, a, as an agent, really, of God's kingdom, that you might bring his good news into your workplace, that you might afresh give yourself to uh, what God is doing in this church and what he's doing in this town and what he wants to do beyond us as well, that there's an arresting of attention today, just as it was for Nehemiah, who was in comfort, really. He was in a, he's in a place where you know, he was getting on by just fine, literally just pouring wine for the king. God got a hold of him. He rested his attention. And then we see this incredible reaction. He hears this bad news. And then for days, he sits down, he weeps, he cries, he, he fasts, and he prays. He calls out to God. This is an amazing reaction. When you are rocked by something, what is your reaction? Where do you turn? Do you turn to um, comfort eating? Do you turn to escapism in the form of, of computer games or images on a screen that would be really unhealthy? Do you turn to whatever? It, what do you turn to? What do you turn to? Do you busy yourself in some ways when you're, 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 you're sort of sensing there's, things are not good and you're, you're not at peace? Listen, Nehemiah, he turns to prayer. He goes straight to God. He processes his, his pain before God. He says, God, you need to do something about this. He goes to God in prayer. And we see a few things here that I just want to pick out as a, a foundation for prayer. I'm going to speak again on prayer next week and, and a little bit more into uh, how we pray. And today, though, I want to really look at the foundation that Nehemiah had for his prayer life. Nehemiah knew some things about God and about himself and, and these things led him to pray. These things brought him to his knees in prayer. He knew some things, some really important things. And these things led him to pray. These things were a foundation for his prayer life. In fact, as you read through the book of Nehemiah, and it will take you a good 20 minutes to do it in your own time, you see again and again, this man prays. He prays again and again. He's a man of prayer. He has some foundations down in his life, some foundational truths. Firstly, he knew that God is a mighty God. He had a big vision of God. As we were praying before these meetings this morning, we were praying, God, would you enlarge our vision of you in our minds? It's not that God can get any bigger. He's already infinitely great. But actually, in, in our minds, we need to see him as great. We need to understand that he is awesome, that's the word that Nehemiah uses. You're the awesome God. He's the one who we stand in awe before because he, there's nothing that he cannot do. He is perfect in all of his ways. He's mighty. He's the God of heaven. Listen, praise and worship is so key in developing a life of prayer, not just individually, but as a, as a church as well. Praise and worship is key because actually as we praise him, we're reminding ourselves of truths. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and you'll meet with your father who's there in secret. You want to know where God is? He's in secret. 
You meet with him in secret. That's where he is. You will meet with him. And he says, he teaches his disciples to pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's a worship that comes. It's not a, a coming to God and saying, I am a miserable worm who really doesn't deserve to come before you right now. I'm, I'm such a mess. I've messed up in X, Y, Z. No, we get to this part later on in the prayer, don't we? Forgive, forgive us our sins. But we actually come to God in worship and we remind ourselves of who he is. He's our Father who is in heaven. And that's why when we gather together for our prayer and vision nights, that's why we, we praise him. Sometimes people will say, well, why don't we just get on with the prayer? I know friends of mine who've said, no, in our prayer meetings in our church, we just get down to business and we pray. We don't do any of this singing. We pray. I think, no, we need to remind ourselves of who we're praying to. And when we sing songs full of biblical truths, as, as we've been singing this morning, our faith rises, actually. We say, no, I'm not praying to some agony aunt who just says, you know, oh, they're there. You know, I just pour out my you know, problems to this agony aunt. We're not praying to some wise Jedi who just speaks some gob- gobbledygook back to us. No, we're praying to the God of heaven who can do all things. There's nothing that's impossible for him. He's the one who, as we've even heard in worship, can just say to a storm, okay, be quiet now. That's enough. This is who we're praying to. He's a mighty, mighty God. And the second thing that Nehemiah knew was this. God is faithful. He says, you're the awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. God is a covenant-keeping God. What he promises, he will do. He's a God who keeps his promises. He's faithful. He doesn't turn back on himself and say, when I took you on, I didn't really know what I was getting into. When, when I took you on, I, I didn't really see that you were going to be as bad as you really are. And so, therefore, I'm kind of just going, that thing I promised you to never leave you or forsake you, I'm just going to go back on that, actually. I'm really sorry. No, he's a covenant-keeping God. He's faithful to keep his covenant to you. And he's made promises to us. And he loves it when we remind him of his promises. And that's what Nehemiah does. He says, remember what you told your servant Moses. Remember what you said to him, Lord. He brings back to him a promise because he believes in God's faithfulness and it really honors God when we bring his promises to him. You might think it's cheeky. You might think it's kind of like a bit audacious. Come on, God, remember what you said. No, he loves it when we bring his promises back to him in prayer because it shows we believe he's faithful. It shows we believe he doesn't lie. He doesn't go back on what he says. We can say to him, God, your word says, your word says this. I'm going to take this to you in prayer. I'm going to get hold of you in prayer because you are faithful. In Psalm, it's rather Exodus 34, we see God introducing himself to Moses. And this is what the people of Israel would have rehearsed in their minds. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, that's who I am. I'm I'm the, the great I am, the Lord The God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. God is is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. We're so often filled with all kinds of bitterness and stuff, and when we get poked, it comes out. God is filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So when you approach him, (laughs) that's what you're going to get. 
You're going to get unfailing love. He's filled with it. He's full to the brim with unfailing love and faithfulness. That encourages me to run to God in prayer because he's filled with it. He's, he's full to overflow with love and faithfulness. So Nehemiah knew God is mighty. He knew God is faithful. He knew God is merciful. Again, a couple of times in this prayer that we see here, he says, we've sinned against you. I've sinned against you. He says it again, I've sinned against you. He knew that he had done wrong before God. And yet he came to God in prayer because he knew God was merciful. Another amazing uh, piece of scripture that these Israelites would have rehearsed again and again, Psalm 145, where we see this, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry and he's filled with unfading love. And again, filled, but he's slow to anger. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Nehemiah knew, I'm coming to God, he's merciful. I've sinned, I've done wrong. God has every right to kick me out. He's every right to kill me. But I know he's merciful. Friends, we need to understand the God that we're coming towards. We need to understand who he is. He's made it very clear. He's made it very clear. But the problem we have is that we kind of get enemy propaganda. So we've just been celebrating the 75th anniversary of D-Day, the Allies invading Europe to go and uh, liberate these nations that had been taken captive by the Nazis. And when you look into it, it's fascinating, some of the propaganda that both sides used. They would go in, uh, fly over enemy territory and they would drop leaflets with uh, messages on for the enemy troops. And they would be leaflets that would try and really kind of get under the skin of the enemy troops. Leaflets that would say, you know what, you're out here in Europe fighting. Guess what's going on back home? Your, your wives are being taken by other men. All these kinds of things just to kind of discourage the troops. Or, you know what, you're completely surrounded. There is no point fighting on. You're fighting a losing battle and you're going you're gonna to be destroyed. These are the kind of enemy messages that would come in. And we, friends, I don't know if you know this, we are in a battle. Prayer is a battle. If we're going to be a praying church, if we're really going to grow in prayer as a church, we need to understand it's a battle and there's enemy lies that say God isn't great. He's not, he's not strong enough to, to deal with these issues that you're calling out to him for. That he's not merciful, that he's actually an angry dad who's really fed up with you. Or he's not, he's not faithful. He'll go back on what he's promised. These, these lies coming in and Listen, we need to be those that are in the Word of God, who are in worship regularly. I tell you what, this morning, I, thank you to the band. I know it's you know, a team effort. You guys served us so well. And I was just meeting with God in worship, reminded of truths. Because so often we can allow these lies to get into our minds. We need to be in worship. Matt Redman, great songwriter, he says, Worship is the ultimate reality check. <laughs> it's the ultimate reality check. Because we can so often live in unreality when we come back to the truth of biblically shaped songs. Our, something happens in our souls and we understand, no, I've been believing some lies. So Nehemiah knew some things about God. He knew some things about himself. He knew that he was part of God's people. He knew that he was part of God's people. 
He says, these are your people, God. These are your people. There was a, a confidence about him that came about because he knew, I'm part of God's people. And yet, he says, really, we're your servants, those that you have rescued. This gave him some confidence. He says to God, you, we're your rescue. You're the ones, we're the ones that you rescued, God. We're the ones you rescued. You, you have some... Uh, you have some reason to take note of this because we're the ones that you plucked out of slavery. We're the ones you rescued. We're your servants. He had some confidence before God because he knew. He knew something of, of who he was. He had confidence to call out to God in this way, to go to God with, with quite an audacious prayer, really. God, don't forget what you said to Moses. And listen, if you are in Christ... If you have placed your faith in Jesus and all that he's done in dying on the cross, in rising again, in the fact that he's coming again for you, if you trust in him, it means you're in Christ. And get this, you have reason for far more confidence than Nehemiah. You have reason for far more confidence than Nehemiah. Because you're not just a rescued one. You're not just a servant of God. You are a son. You are a daughter of this same God. That's, that's who you are. You are a, a son or a daughter. I want to show you this in Ephesians chapter 1. This is, we need to get this. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. We're going to read a few verses. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're really good at what we do, because we're really well behaved, because we've got some things right, because we've got the right values. No, because we are united with Christ. Because we're united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Without fault in the eyes of God. Are you in Christ? Are you united with Christ? Without fault in the eyes of God. God decided in advance. This is, that would be good news even if we stop there, right? <laughs> even if we stop there. Without fault in the eyes of God. Because I'm united to Christ. If we stop there. I mean, that's a good book there, Paul. Two, three verses. You've done good. Listen to this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. We, we really need to understand that the goal, <clears throat> the goal of Jesus' work on the cross wasn't solely your forgiveness. It wasn't solely that you would be justified. It's even better than that. It's that you could be adopted into God's family. You, you need to grasp that. 
Holy Spirit, would you come and just let that settle in hearts now? Please, Lord. Come and just let that settle in hearts now. You've not just been accepted. You've not just been made right with God. You've been adopted. And some of you here, you you struggle to, to call him father. But that's how Jesus wants you to come to him. That's, that transforms everything. When you get this, when you understand, I can call him father. I can call him dad. Abba. The, the spirit of God calls, causes our spirit to cry out, Abba, father. That, that's what the, the Hebrew children call their dads. I can call, my, I can call God father. I can come before him with confidence like a child. <laughs> this is the goal of what Jesus came to do. Not just to forgive us, but to win about a people, a family, who can approach their father with confidence. This is the foundation for prayer. We're coming to our father who is in heaven. Our, our heavenly father. The one who can do all things the one nothing is impossible for him, the one who's mighty, the one who brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, parting the sea, the one who's done the, that work in our lives, brought us out of slavery to sin into his glorious light. This is who we come towards in prayer. This changes everything. This must change everything. If you, if you struggle with this sense of, I can't come before God, well, you need to align yourself with the truth. If you're in Christ... If you know him to be your saviour, you can call him father. It's who you are. A church who has had this revelation will be a powerful praying church. It will be a powerful praying church. And we, friends, we will see incredible things happening because we'll be going to our father and saying, Father, we need you to come. We need you to bless us. We need you to save many. We need you to come and help us. Most of Nehemiah's prayers in this book weren't as grand as this. They were, like, they were like, Lord, help me. Help me. But listen, if we don't understand, if we don't constantly come back to these truths of who God is and who we are in him, then we're not going to be a praying church. We're not going to be a praying church. When we have weeks of prayer, we're going to think, I, I've had a really bad week, actually. I've said some things I shouldn't have said. I've done some things I shouldn't have done. I'm not going to go to that prayer meeting. Why would God want me to come to him? Listen, you are beckoned to him. You're not just accepted. He's saying, come on in. Come on in. I want you to come and speak to me. I want you to pour your heart out to me. Let's stand, shall we? I want to just encourage us that we're going to sing in response to this, but I want to pray for us because this needs to land in our hearts. This needs to land in our hearts. We have far greater reason to be confident before God than Nehemiah had. And he was an amazing leader. This guy is an extraordinary leader who saw this situation turned around. In the natural, you could say he might have some reasons for confidence. But listen, you have reason for confidence before God that's far greater than Nehemiah's because you are an adopted son or daughter if you are in Christ. And that's just simply through faith. You don't kind of have to go through a test. God doesn't say, right, okay, I'm going to give you 20 years, and then if you measure up, then I'm going to adopt you as my son. No, he says, come on in. Let me just pray for us. Let, let's, let's just pray that this will sink into our hearts, because this is a game changer. 
It's a simple truth, but it's a game changer when we understand it. And I'm going to give opportunity after I've prayed. I'm going to give an opportunity just for the, some here to respond. Maybe you don't know this Jesus. Maybe you've never given over your life to him. Maybe you've never said, Lord, I give over my sin and my mistakes and I, I receive from you forgiveness, adoption. Father, would you let this sink in now? Lord, we, we look around and we see our, our nation in quite a state. We see our nation divided in some ways. We see all kinds of wrong things going on. We see kids being knifed on their, in their neighborhoods. We see all kinds of evil being perpetrated. And we, we need you to turn our nation around. Lord, we do. And we know that it's through prayer that we're going to see this happen. In some mystery that we don't understand, Lord, we, we trust that you've ordained prayer as a means by which you do stuff. Lord, we know you act sovereignly. We know you, you intervene. But we know also that prayer is so important in this. And Lord God, we want to be a people who are growing in prayer. We want to be a people who, who push forward in prayer, confident that you are the answer, that you are enough and that you are able to answer our prayers. We want to push forward in prayer more and more and more, knowing that you're mighty, nothing's too hard for you. You're faithful, you keep your covenant. Lord God, you're merciful. You beckon us to yourself. Even though we get things wrong, you beckon us to yourself because we are adopted. I want to pray, Lord God, now by your spirit, that you would just do what I cannot do. Lord, I've, I've shared these mighty truths. I just want to pray they would sink in right now. Maybe for some of you, you've never been able to call God Father. You never really understood that although our earthly dads fail us, he will never fail us. Maybe just right now, you just need to just say, Holy Spirit, help me to grasp this truth. Let this biblical truth settle into my heart and change everything for me. Some of you have been Christians for 30 years and this has never really settled into your heart. Your, your life is, is one of living under a cloud of condemnation. Yes, God wants to change us. Yes, he wants to make us more like Jesus, but he wants us to come to him in Christ, knowing that we are wrapped up in him adopted sons and daughters Holy Spirit would you come and just settle that truth in hearts right now settle that truth in our hearts right now we're adopted sons and daughters I pray Lord that we'd be mighty men and women of prayer I ask you Lord that in the days and weeks to come in the secret place you would just uh, cause us to come to you Lord we want to be those that then when we're gathered together in prayer, there's just an overflow of what we've been doing in the secret place. Lord God, would you move us forward? Take us forward in this, we ask you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.